Amen. Thank you so much uh, for leading that wonderful song. Wow, I just got lost in that moment of worship. Um, and actually, I want to continue in worship, if you would, with me. And I want to invite you to open to Matthew uh, chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. And as uh, you do that, uh, let's continue in worship through prayer. Well, Father God, we want to thank you and praise you as the God who is sovereign this morning. That we thank you that every single aspect, every detail, every breath, every moment is underneath your sovereign control and your loving authority. We praise you, O God, as the one who is all wise, that we know that you always know what to do, how to do it, when to do it, and that we can trust you for all of life's decisions. God, we thank you and praise you as the one who is graciously accepting. Thank you that we don't have to earn your approval, but we can receive it as a free gift, and we can rest in the humble confidence that we are your beloved children. God, we thank you and praise you as the one who is ever-present, that you are Emmanuel, God, with us, that no matter where we are or what we're going through, we can always commune with you and be encouraged and refreshed in your presence. God, we thank you that you are a God who is all-powerful, that there is no person or situation upon which you cannot bring your change and transformation. God, we thank you and praise you as being a God who is holy, 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 that you are without error, without equal, that there is none like you, none beside you, and you are above all else, transcendent over all. God, we thank you and praise you that you are our blessed Trinity, that you are Father, Son, and Spirit, and that this morning we can rest in the grace of the Father. We can grow in uh, the love of, of God, uh, of, of, of Christ, and really fellowship in the context of the Holy Spirit. God, we thank you and praise you that you are a God who is with us now. And as we are opening your word, as we're continuing this journey through the Sermon on the Mount, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would open our eyes, open our ears to be able to see, to behold your glory, your beauty, and then in doing so, that we would be transformed, that we would become more like you, trusting you in these next moments to give to every single one of us, both here in the room, those online, and even perhaps those that are watching this after the fact, sometime later this week or month or another time, that you, we will trust you today, right now in this moment, wherever we are, to give to us what we need most. And so, Father, we pray all of this in your matchless and mighty and awesome and powerful name. And everyone said together, amen, amen. Well, good morning, everybody. And um, again, I want to welcome you. And uh, I'm really uh, grateful um, and excited that we get to be together yet again another day, uh, both here in the room and for those online. And um, here's what I want to do. Uh, I want to um, just have a, a check-in here uh, this morning. Um, how are you? I mean, really. How are you doing this morning um, in the midst of a crazy year, in the midst of all of these layers of crises, in the midst now of the angst and the anticipation of who's going to be our next president? How are you really doing? And if you're like me, I actually don't really like this question. <laughs> 
because at best it's a vague attempt to sound like we're actually genuinely concerned about the condition of another, and at worst we've really kind of reduced it down to a way that we just kind of flippantly greet one another. Instead of it's, a, it's been synonymous with just, hey, how are you, is the same way of just kind of saying, how's it going? But do we really actually mean it? But I want to tell you this morning that I, I mean it. I really mean it, and I also want to let you know that if you're like me, I struggle to answer this question simply because I don't know where to begin. And so what I want to do this morning is, as we begin is to give you a framework of a series of four questions that I think can give us a place to start, can give us a place to begin in conversation with God in prayer, but also with one another, that if we generally are concerned and with sincerity want to know how one another is actually doing, this would be some follow-up questions of how we can actually get beneath the surface. And you're going to answer the first three questions, but I'm going to attempt to answer the fourth question with what I'm convinced is truly the best answer for each of us this morning, including, and first and foremost, myself. So here we go. So the first question is this. Four key questions. First one's a question of lament. I want to invite you just to consider for a moment, what has this season taken from you? What has this season maybe uh, stripped or pulled or forced away from your life? What are you grieving the loss of in light of, in the context of this season? could be a certain relationship, a certain plan of yours that it got thwarted, got taken away from you, a certain opportunity. could be a certain situation. What are you grieving this morning? What are you lamenting? What are you, what are you on, if you're honest with yourself, really lamenting is learning how to complain to God without sinning. What if, is there a why God in your soul this morning? Just take a moment right now and tell him. Turn that into a prayer. As you think about this question, express this lament to God who hears, who knows, who cares, and who grieves right alongside of you, who's with you in the midst of that pain, that grief that you're experiencing. So this first question is one of lament. The second question is one of hope. What has this season not taken from you? What has this season not taken from you? In a time of so much uncertainty and ambiguity, what do you, maybe if you, in your heart of hearts, do you feel most certain about? Is there something that you can cling to? Something as an anchor for your soul? As something that is actually constant and unchanging in your life? Maybe in light of how you answered the first question of what you're lamenting, what's been taken from you, maybe there's something that has been taken from you that you thought was essential, but you realize that it's really more of an accessory or perhaps a luxury. How has the season helped you maybe prioritize what really matters? Maybe it's your, your faith and your confidence of God is stronger than ever. Maybe it's your recognizing that what this hasn't taken from you are some relationships that maybe you've taken for granted that you've learned how to prioritize in a whole new way. Maybe you're like some that say, you know what, as, as bad as everything is out there, I can still honestly say it as well with my soul. What's that, what's that, this question of hope? And now similar to the first question, I want to invite you just to take a moment right now, if you would, take a moment right now and turn that thought, how you'd answer this question into a prayer. 
and express this hope to God who himself truly is the one constant and unchanging thing in our lives. Third question, and this one's a little counterintuitive, but in God's goodness and grace it's possible, is a question of blessing. What has this season given to you? How have you experienced the redemptive power of God? What unexpected gift has maybe he graciously given to you? Perhaps there's something that you have been given that you didn't even know until it has been given to you and you realize that God has used this season in the midst of all of the pain and on the uncertainty as a conduit to extend this gift to you. What is that? What is that for you? What blessing has he given to you? How has he used this season to provide it particularly for you, right where you are at in your current situation? And like the first two questions on this third one, as you're answering that, turn that into a prayer and express that to God with a spirit of gratitude and thanksgiving. Say, God, thank you. Thank you for the blessing of. If you're like me, I sometimes I, I need some practical handles and kind of some ways to help me process and how to think, how to, how to work through um, where I am and what's going on in my life. And I tell you, these, these first three questions have been so helpful for me over these last eight months when I was first introduced to them in the context of a Zoom prayer call with other campus ministers across this country and walking through this prayerfully. It's something that I've gone back to time and time again. But there's one more question. And here's the fourth question. It's a question of honesty. It's a question of honesty. Because while these other questions, maybe we feel a sense of uh, a present real reality of, or maybe it's something that we look back on, I want us to really focus in today this question of honesty of what do you most need today? Now, I know some of you might be thinking, I, I need a break. <laughs> Fall break wasn't enough. Maybe some of you are like, I need a nap. I am just literally exhausted. I need a nap, a home-cooked meal, do some laundry, and binge Netflix. Okay, some of you, however, you might answer this question, right? Some of you are shaking, kind of nodding your heads. I can see you smizing through the top half of your faces. I know some of you, you just maybe want an escape. You want an exit strategy. You want to just get away, fly away, remove yourself from all of what's going on. But what I want, maybe you're, maybe you're just sick of tired of wearing these masks and all of these regulations. You just want things to go back to normal whatever that normal is for you. But what I want to suggest, if I could be so bold this morning, what I think we all most need today is the very thing that our next beatitude provides and offers to us. And it's this beatitude, Matthew 5, 8. If you have in your Bibles there, you'll see that this as the, uh, one of the last beatitudes here that we're going to be covering. We have one last one that we'll be covering next week. As we're journeying through the kingdom, uh, this kingdom of heaven theme and journeying through the Sermon on the Mount as our grounding text, Jesus says this, blessed, blessed, happy, satisfied, God's favor is upon, the, the, the best kind of abundant life is given to those who are pure in heart. And here's the reward, for they shall see God. 
for they shall see God. Now, I think when we look at the Beatitudes, um, and, and really, really what we most need today, and I guess um, before we look, just a little overview here of the Beatitudes, what we most need today, if I could title my message, that this is what it would be, what we most need today, and I believe it's this, we need a pure heart that paves the way toward a fresh vision of God. We need a pure heart that paves the way towards a fresh vision of God. And we see the Beatitudes, the blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I think it's important to remember when we think of the Beatitudes, to remember what they are not. The Beatitudes are not a religious list of to-dos. In other words, they're not merely aspirational statements that we need to live up to or to accomplish. We do not become poor in spirit. We don't mourn. We don't, uh, we don't become meek or hungry for, hungry for righteousness or merciful um, by stacking up the right combo of behaviors or by trying harder. Because here's, remember what the Beatitudes are. The Beatitudes are not a religious list of to-dos. They're the radical description of the good news. It's the result of the good news. It's the result of God's grace invading your life and mine, causing us to become more like the one who is, more like the one who's the blesser. Remember, a blessing is only as good as the one who's giving it. We actually get to have the same kind of quality of life, this kingdom life, this eternal life, this abundant life as the blesser himself, which is, which is God. And so this is not a religious list of to-dos. It's a radical description of the good news. And so I, I believe when we look at this beatitude, I think often the best Jesus, uh, what we think about this is Jesus as king of God's kingdom He's pronouncing God's gracious favor upon those who are least deserving and most deemed unfit for God's kingdom. God's blessing or making available to us the best kind of life with the best of all rewards to anyone who humbly embraces the life-giving demands of the gospel. And so often is the case, I think the best commentary to expand our understanding on this beatitude is, is scripture itself. And so when we think about blessed are the pure in heart, both the Old and New Testament says so much about both having a pure heart and its direct correlation to having a right vision of, a right seeing of who God is. So listen, let's just take a little scriptural bath this morning together, if you would with me. And let's take a look back here. We look back on the Old Testament. We reread this in Psalm 24, 3 through 6. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has, a clean, who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of, the God of Jacob. Likewise, Psalm 51, 6 and 10 says, Behold, you delight in truth, where? In the inward being. You teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Verse 10 of Psalm 51, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. We see this as really the promise, the fruition is the promise of the, of the new covenant of having a new heart. Ezekiel 36 says this, And I, this is Yahweh, will give to you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. 
Jeremiah 31, 33, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. So it's clear that what kind of purity this beatitude is talking about. It's talking about one of an inward nature, a purity of heart. Not purity of of, of an external or outward appearance or circumstance. When scripture talks about the heart, it's viewed really as the seatbed or as the engine of our thoughts, of our words, and of our actions. So in other words, it's a matter of the heart. That's why we needed a new heart. That's why when Jeremiah said earlier that who can, the heart is deceptively wicked above all things, who can understand its ways? That's why the gospel takes a heart of stone and it becomes the very home of the Father and the Son dwelling and abiding in us. So having a purity of heart primarily points us also, though, to the way in which we think about relationships, the way that we think about the way we relate to God, to each other, to ourselves, and to the world around us. I love looking ahead from this beatitude. We see Paul, I think, reflecting back on this. In 2 Timothy 2.22, he says, So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Peter, likewise, says, Having purified your souls by obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. So likewise, the author of Hebrews, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. And then 1 John 2, 2 and 3 says, Beloved, which by the way, why do I call you beloved? It's because scripture does. So beloved, we are God's children now and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he, Jesus Christ, comes back again, when he appears, we shall be like him because... We shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. But yet even better, I think the best commentary on this beatitude lies within the Sermon on the Mount itself where Jesus talks about in the next chapter how we practice our righteousness before others in our giving and in our fasting and in our praying. And in Matthew 6, 21, he lays it out with striking clarity when he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So I think we can summarize what we find here, just in our scripture commentary on this beatitude, that this beatitude is all about what we treasure and value, and it's about what we prioritize and what we fixate on. It's a question of where we focus. I love one commentator put it this way, the pure in heart is the one who is single-minded, who are free from the tyranny of the divided self. In this case, the pure in heart is the singular heart and the one that prepares the way for the single eye, which Jesus mentions in the next chapter, in chapter 6. And so just as we asked four questions of lament, of hope, of blessing, of what we need most today, And again, it's what we need most today is a pure heart that paves the way for a fresh vision of God. I want to give us four reasons why. Four reasons why in a kingdom way forward. The first one's this. We need, what we need most today is a pure heart and a fresh vision of God because true and lasting change, true and lasting change begins at the heart level. 
No, I know I haven't said much about this so far in the message, but obviously as we're waiting in the anticipation of the outcome of the elections, and uh, if someone gets a notification on their phone, we find out in chapel, just shout it out, because then we're going to pause and pray for that. Um, but, but I came across this quote um, while I've just been preparing uh, for, this, for this message, but also just while I was reflecting on all of what's going on in terms of the political uh, landscape and with all the, uh, the, really of all the polarity and all the division that we find ourselves in. It says this, hearts inform minds. Minds cast votes. Votes shape politics. Politics do not change the social landscape, but rather reflect cultural realities. Only Jesus can transform the heart to reset the entire process. So in other words, we need a pure heart and fresh vision of God because only true and lasting change begins at the heart level. So when we think of politics, we need to think and remember of people and in people and having hearts (laughs) and hearts that need God's grace like I trust he has with yours and mine, to be invaded with the life-giving and regenerating power of the gospel. See, I think we know full well that we live in a broken and fallen world, which means that the political system is broken, and therefore it's a false hope to bring true and lasting change. It does bring change. It does have impact. I'm not minimizing that, but I'm talking about true and lasting. I'm talking about kingdom. I'm talking about eternal reality change changes here. Yet, We need to remember that what lies underneath politics, as I said, are people, and every single person matters to God. Every single person has a heart that is being chased and has the is being as being chased by something, is being formed by something, and it has the potential to be renovated by the gospel. I'm reminded of this story, kind of as an antidote that was reflected that reflects this reality, this dynamic, this first reason of a young boy who approached his dad, who was coming home after a long days of work a long day of work and he sat in his favorite chair and he opened up the the newspaper and his son really wanted to play with him his dad let's go outside we want to play catch blah 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 and and he just wanted a few quiet moments and on the back on one uh, piece of uh, part of the newspaper he noticed that uh, that there was just a there was a picture um, of uh, um, of the world so like a globe and so what he did is he tore it up tore it up in a bunch of different pieces and he handed it to, himself, his, to his son and he said, okay, if you can piece this back together, when you piece this back together, put the world back together um, and all the broken puzzle pieces, then we can go outside and play. So the dad thought that was a clever idea. He thought he bought himself some time. But within a matter of minutes, the son came back and he had it all taped together and he showed his dad. He said, dad, look. And his dad was dumbfounded thinking, I had no idea my son knew his geography this well. And he goes, how did you do that so fast? And his son said, well, that was really easy because on the backside of, of, the, of, of the picture of the world was a picture of a person's face. And so I flipped it all over and all I had to do was put the face back together, put the person back together. And when I got the person right, I got the world right. True and lasting change begins at the heart level. So when people become right with God and right with one another, that is going to shape and and impact and and, and, and shape the way that we vote, the way policy is formed, and the way our culture um, is impacted by that. And so we we need a fresh, uh, we need a pure heart and a fresh vision of God because true and lasting change begins at the heart level. And this is, is something that only the Lord can do. We need to get the person right in order to see the world become right. 
Secondly, we need, to, uh, uh, we need a pure heart and a fresh vision of God because we need to pursue and treasure Jesus above all else. Remember talking about a purity of heart. Is all, let's talk about what we value most, what we treasure most, what we pursue most. And there are a lot of things that matter and there are a lot of things of value to pursue, but having a pure heart will enable us to begin to focus on what really matters most. Our life will always follow, listen, our life will always follow our eyes' gaze. We need to see God for who he is and for others through his eyes. I want to bring you back about 15 years ago to 2005 when the Lord brought the reality of this to my life in the most unexpected way. I realized 15 years ago, many of you were um, not maybe four or five years old or perhaps just coming out of diapers and being potty trained. So I'm aging myself a little bit. But in 2005, I was a sophomore in college right here at Northwestern. And I was in the midst of a really difficult and for me a dark time where I was navigating and wrestling through a physical injury that was debilitating for me, a chronic back pain. I had a herniated disc in my back and I was seeking and searching for all these different remedies, all these different procedures that I could take. And I was going on my way actually to a physical therapy appointment and it was a hot July day. And I was driving my rust bucket of a car at the time. I was thankful to even have one. And I was in the middle of Highway 94, heading out east towards Woodbury. So some of you maybe know where that is. So the east metro area. And I was stuck in traffic. And the problem was uh, that my, my, window, my, my, my AC for that car was what I called the 4x40. So it was four windows down, driving at least 40 miles per hour to get enough like air ventilation, right? To like get it. So I, that was broken. So I couldn't do that because I was stop, start, stop, start, stop, start. And then here's the thing. I was driving a manual. That was what I learned on, an actual stick shift, which I loved except when you're in traffic. And except when you have a herniated disc and every single time you press the clutch, I would get shooting pain down my leg, shooting pain down my leg, shooting pain down my leg. And on top of that, my gas tank was on empty. So I was at this moment, I literally thought I was going to pull over the car and just go run into the woods. And I don't know, I was like, I was done. I was done. I was at the end of myself. And I didn't know what to do. And I was so frustrated. I couldn't even get a radio signal. And I had an old little CD player. And I had an I had a, I had a, a, a old CD that um, a friend of mine had given me that just said one thing on it. I was like, What's, like, whatever. So I shoved it in there. And it was a preacher. It was a message on Psalm 27. And I can, I can tell you this, this. This is a whole message in and of itself <laughs> on Psalm 27, how God's used this. But what he did in bringing me to the message of Psalm 27, 4, where David said one thing, one thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek. That I may dwell, be with God all the days of my life. I may, what, gaze upon his beauty and seek him in his temple. And let me tell you what, in that moment I realized that Jesus wasn't, wasn't the one thing of my life. He was just one of the many things. When it was convenient. When it felt right. When I, I, he was, he, and, and here's the thing, God used a period in a season of pain in my life to give me a period, the very purity of heart that I needed most. 
God might be using a season of pain in your life. He might be using this pandemic. He might be using this political season that we're in to help wake you up and to actually be like a scalpel in the hand of our creator to go do some heart work to you and to bring you the very purified heart that you need so that we will pursue and treasure Jesus above everything else. Third reason. Third reason why we need Uh, to what we need today most, what we most need today is a pure heart and a fresh vision of God. It's because the sin of hypocrisy and division needs to be confronted. It needs to be overcome. See, in stark contrast, Jesus actually offers another list later in Matthew uh, uh, that's antithetical to the Beatitudes, that the kingdom of God addresses matters of the heart, and his kingdom confronts all the other facades of external righteousness that was touted by the kingdom and the religious leaders of Jesus' day. He says this to the, in Matthew 23, 25, starting, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, and what, that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Beloved, we need to stop pretending as God's people like we have it all figured out, that we are somebody that we're not, that we know something we don't, that we can do something that we can't. It's come to this place of honest integrity. And to be able to pray along with the psalmist in Psalm 86, 11, that says, unite my heart. Give me an undivided heart that I would fear your name. We need the Holy Spirit to transform our polluted hearts into pure ones. Then truly we can be agents of unity rather than division. So whatever the results of the election may be, the pure in heart do not look out and see two groups of people. They don't see the winners and the losers, but rather they see God and thereby they see people. People in need of a heart reform that only the gospel can provide. And you and I are stewards of that good news, having been equipped as ambassadors of God's kingdom. Our last, our last one, last reason why what we need most today is a pure heart and a fresh vision of God is because we need to be equipped with a heavenly perspective. You see, you and I as Christians, we have a dual citizenship. One is eternal or heavenly, in the other, and, and is worthy of our ultimate allegiance. The other is temporary or earthly and yet requires our engagement. Our heavenly citizenship does not allow us to neglect the responsibilities or to shield us from the effects of our earthly citizenship, but it informs, shapes, and equips us to participate in the public square as ambassadors of God's kingdom. I've been saying it this way in, in chapel, that the kingdom of God equips us with a perspective that is more liberal than conservative, more conservative than liberal, and more Christian than both. And so we need to have a broader understanding of God's kingdom and not allow the, ethic, the, the, the political rhetoric to, to truncate or give us a narrow perspective of what God cares about most. It's really interesting that I heard uh, that Tim, Tim, Timothy Keller, author and apologist and pastor, great thinker, said he did a survey of the Bible and he found four ethical issues that just naturally arise from Scripture. He said they are, number one, racial justice. Number two, poverty and, margin, and marginalization. Number three, sanctity of life. And number four, sexual purity. 
If you're following along, if you think about that, two of those fit in what we could call more of a liberal agenda, while the other two fit more in a more conservative agenda. But yet we as kingdom people have to live in the tension and yet the power and the opportunity of the, of the and, of the both and. It's not an either or, it's a both and. And so this idea God's kingdom cannot fit into a bipartisan government or with any human-made construct But as we are in the midst of this great tension, our shared Christian principles should enable us to find common cause with others across the theological and political spectrum. So I love uh, Justin Gibney puts it this way. He says, uh, in the author author and co-founder of the AND campaign, he says, in sum, we cannot find our primary identity in any political party or cultural tribe. When Orthodox Christians participate in in culture and politics, we must be determined to maintain biblical fidelity. Our commitment to social justice and biblical values must be the foundation of our engagement. This requires us to critique popular culture, reject hyper-partisanship, and love the enemies of righteousness and justice while boldly calling them to account. Our witness must be clear, courageous, compassionate, and most importantly, biblical. Doctrine always matters, and the common good trumps Christian self-interest. So this is why, in closing in a little bit of overtime here, I want to give us not prescribe the way forward, but give us some kingdom principles as a way forward beyond today, to not just think about the elections, but beyond the election and into this year and into the next coming years. And they're simply this. Pray, memorize, and stay engaged. Pray, not just for the elected leaders, but also for the elect. Pray for the church. Memorize. I want to invite you to memorize the Beatitudes with me. And actually, I'm working on memorizing the whole Sermon on the Mount. We need uh, scripture that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. We need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. That as you engage in scripture, are we really listening to the voice of the spirit in scripture to memorize? And then this, stay engaged. Have a broader vision of Christian civic engagement than just the national elections. Know what's happening at the local levels and be able to exercise your right to vote and to be able to participate, to stay educated, to stay engaged, and to engage in conversation. So I want to invite you, if you would, would you, would you pray, pray with me as we close? Father in heaven, I want to thank you and praise you for this time. Lord, there's so much to think about, so much to uh, say, so much to engage in, but I pray that we would continue to begin in prayer. God, that we would believe today, being convinced that what we need most is a pure heart and a fresh vision of God. God, I pray specifically that you would give Donald Trump and Joe Biden a fresh, a pure heart and a fresh vision of God wherever they're at right now and whatever happens at their outcome of this election. God, I pray that you give us as your church, pastors and church leaders, a pure heart and a fresh vision of God, that we would be further equipped to know where the true change comes from, uh, that, from a renovation of the heart, that we would chase after, pursue, and value, and treasure Christ above all else. God, that we would confront the sin of hypocrisy and division and, uh, and overcome it, and overcome that evil with good. And Lord, that we would be equipped with that heavenliest perspective to engage as your kingdom ambassadors with your authority and with your power, full of grace and truth. God, may it be so for your glory today this week, this next month, and in the coming years. We pray this all in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. Thank you so much for being here, um, beloved. Thank you for staying a little after, a couple minutes past. Have a great rest of your day, and uh, continue, continue in prayer. Go ahead, and you are dismissed.